This is Think Digital Futures. I am Shane Anderson. First things first, I'm so excited to announce that Think Digital Futures has won silver at the New York Festival Radio Awards in the category of science and technology. This is a huge win, and Ellen Lee Bader is in New York right now accepting the award. What's more, I'll be holding down the fort for the next few episodes while Ellen is taking a well-deserved break. Now, on with the show. your DNA, the two strands of the double helix that hold your genetic code. Written into this code is your health, your physique, your hair colour, everything that makes you who you are. Now imagine there was a way you could alter this code. What would you change? If you had the power, how would you edit not just you, but all life around you? Gene editing technology is advancing fast, and it's all thanks to a genome editing tool called CRISPR-Cas9. CRISPR has opened the floodgates for incredible changes. It's allowing scientists to alter genetic sequences with more efficiency than was ever thought possible. But it's also raising some difficult questions about what right we as humans have to edit, erase, or enhance the natural world. For this episode, I was joined by expert Joshua Chow. He's just come back from Harvard University, where he's been at the centre of the action in the exciting new field of gene editing. Uh, My name is Joshua Chow. Right now I'm the Director of Biomedical Engineering at UTS. And you've just come back from Harvard? Yes, that's correct. (laughs) Tell me about it. How long were you there for? Um, So I was at Harvard for the last two years, doing my research over there, and I just came back two weeks ago. Over at Harvard, I was involved in a lot in a growing field called mechanobiology. We realized that there's quite the concepts of mechanobiology can actually be applied to a broad spectrum of science, including cancer research and development. So that's kind of where my research is right now. And so is this where the gene editing comes into it? Yes, absolutely. Because, you know, doing this kind of research, you know, we need a lot of um, tools and, you know, to understand how, for example, in my case, bone cells operate and senses mechanical signals. We have to look at particular genes of interest. And so I incorporate a lot of gene editing technology so that we can study the cell and to learn its function and thereby, you know, understand it more and hopefully find a treatment for diseases. What exactly is gene editing? So gene editing, it's not a new technology. It's been around for a long time. So in all simplicity, it's basically you can add, subtract, or modify your gene sequence um, of, of a living organism. Previously, gene editing has been around for a while, and two of the main um, gene editing tools are called zinc finger nuclease and talon. But the problem with these two um, editing tools is that it's very complex and requires a very deep understanding of molecular biology to be fully operational. So this is where the new focus comes in of using CRISPR. It's a big hype right now, and everywhere you read, you know, here, it's all about CRISPR. What exactly is a gene editing tool, and like, what is it doing to your genes? So basically, it's a molecular tool. You want to think about it, it's like a molecular scissors. So you have your DNA um, and all your your cells. And so basically, gene editing is going in and cutting certain genes out. So you're basically modifying the DNA. 
as I mentioned before, the previous editing tools, they, they do cut out genes of interest. But if you think about it, it's basically cutting something with like a really blunt knife. If you hack it hard enough, you're going to cut it. But the, the cut is going to be very coarse. So that brings in CRISPR. CRISPR is like a molecular scalpel. It's very precise and specific, and that's why there's a big hype about it. We're talking scissors and scalpels, but these things are these things are tiny. I mean, how do we develop the technology to edit these cells? So basically, um, how CRISPR works is that it has a you have to design a guide. So you're basically guiding the molecular scissors to the gene of interest. And how do you, how you do that is that previously I think it's a bit more complicated, but these days you have like free online tools that help you design these guides. So basically, you know, if you remember high school biology, you know, your DNA is made of ACTGs. So basically you find the sequence of the gene that you want and basically it'll go and find it, attach to it, and then make the cut. A free online tool to use gene editing. So I can Google, I want to be super strong. And I can find <laughs> the online scalpel to edit gene technology. Probably not that simple. <laughs> but yeah, the the tools right now that's available to scientists is, is um, astonishing. I mean, there are a lot of work that's been put into it. But yeah, essentially, you can go online, find all these databases about different types of genes of interest. And essentially, you can make a guide. It's really that simple. And that's why there's a big hype about it. Could you talk me through exactly how the process works? So CRISPR, so the actual, the full term is CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing tool, but a lot of people just like to call it CRISPR. Essentially, Cas9 is an enzyme that do the cutting. So we're talking about the molecular scissors. So Cas9 is the molecular scissors. So CRISPR is like a collection of DNA sequence that guides the Cas9 to the target gene. So think about it as a, as a guide, and it goes and attaches the gene of interest, and then Cas9 cuts it. So when I was talking about the online tool, basically the online tool, you can create what they call the, a guide RNA. So it's the guide. So it's the DNA sequence that you want to cut. So once you've designed the guide, you ask the companies to make it. It'll come in two or three days and you put it into your cells, and that's it. Well, so you just inject it? We culture the cells in media, and we basically put the plasmids in, in there, and you know, 24 hours, 48 hours later, you've got your gene-edited cells. Right. It sounds like those stories where it's like the journey into the body, and you've got <laughs> you're in a little spaceship floating around like the blood vessels. That's what I'm picturing. Am I off the mark? No, no, it's, it's not that sexy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is really that easy. And the fact that I can explain to you in you know two or three sentences shows you how easy it is. And I can say that I can teach first-year science students how to do it in one or two hours. But I think the only complication is just designing that guide. But having said that, um, a lot of companies now provides libraries of guides now. So you don't even have to design it yourself. You just go into these online library, look for the gene you want and order it and it'll be on your bench a couple of days later. So if anyone can do it, what happens if the technology falls into the wrong hands? That's the problem. And that's why I say it's very important that we have guidelines and you know safeguards in place so that it doesn't fall into the wrong hands. I mean, while I say it's really easy, the efficiency and how accurate it is is also a, an issue. I mean, it's not, it's not that every cells in the body will respond that easily to um, gene editing. For example, T cells, they're very, very hard to you know, cut out. But compared with other gene editing tools, CRISPR is so far the most efficient. So you also have to take into perspective of that issue. Just in the laboratory, it's 
fairly simple, but if we're talking about like you know human beings or living organism, it's still very complex. Right, and would that vary from person to person then? Because obviously we're all vastly genetically different. I would I would think so. I mean, you know, depending on your age, physique, um, I think these efficiencies will also be very. Once you edit a gene, mm-hmm. does that then pass down through the family? Absolutely, and that's the one of the attractions of CRISPR. It gets passed down to the next generation. So, for example, in you know generating um disease mice models. So what we do is we do the edits in the embryo and then we inject it into the female mice and then all the subsequent offspring will have that gene edit. So this isn't just a quick fix. This could permanently eliminate things like cancer from a genetic line. Absolutely. And that's why everyone's so interested in it because it you can essentially cut out a bad gene and your subsequent generations would not have that. Gene editing technology has been around for a while. And it's interesting that we're, as humans, only just starting to understand this. But surely the idea of gene editing is something that is kind of a natural process. Like you see things about, you know, if you eat lots of bacon, it can cause cancer. Surely that causation is also a form of gene editing, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's that's like mutations. That's also gene editing as well. And yeah, like you say, it's been around for a long time. And that is also very interesting that you mentioned that because that's where actually CRISPR came from. CRISPR actually came from the bacteria that we make yogurt and cheese. Um, so it's a bacteria's natural defense against virus attacks. And what they found, so the company DuPont, they do a lot of dairy manufacturing. I think they own 50% of the world's dairy products. They do a lot of research into trying to make better cheese and yogurt, and what, and that's how they found CRISPR. And they, they studied it and found that bacteria has this natural defense, and we basically adapted it for gene editing. That's such a crazy link. They were looking for better yogurt, and instead they found a tool that can potentially eliminate genetic diseases. Exactly. I mean... They, no one set out for, on a research to look for this tool. It just came about. And yeah, I think the history of how CRISPR came about is actually quite interesting. It wasn't made in a couple of years. It was during the course of 20 years. And since two years ago, it just exploded. That was part one of my conversation with Dr. Joshua Chow, the Director of Biomedical Engineering at University of Technology, Sydney. After the break, we're going to delve into the international gene race, the ethics of altering your DNA, and, of course, X-Men. Think Digital Futures. I've been chatting with Joshua Chow about the incredible field of gene editing. Here's part two of our chat. So what 
is happening with it now? Are they doing human trials? Um, so what people are doing right now is, you know, trying to use CRISPR to develop better disease models. So whether it be in mice, rats, monkeys, what we're trying to do is actually to understand diseases more by creating these more disease-like models in animals. So that's kind of where we are right now. I mean, we're nowhere near science fiction. That will probably take a couple more years. But in terms of clinical trials, yes, there has been. I think, you know, there is a big international race, a biomedical race, to get CRISPR into the clinical arena. And I think the race right now is between the U.S. and China. China has invested heavily on this area. Since last year, the Chinese were the first to incorporate CRISPR into clinical trial. I think it was an aggressive lung cancer patient. And I think last month they did their second one. The U.S. is only starting their first one in their winter this year. Again, focusing on cancer patients. That's really cool, I guess. Yeah, this is where the superpowers start to come into it, right? Can you potentially gene edit for things like intelligence? Is this something that we could see in our lifetime? I do do think it is possible, but obviously it's not that easy. But I think in, in our lifetime, it is probably possible. What then are the, I guess, ethical implications of this? Do we have a right to be messing with the DNA? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. So, you know, apart from all the science and everything, everyone's now focused on the bigger picture, the ethic question, you know, the ethical and social question. So I think, you know, when a technology like this first comes out, people have a tendency to have a fear towards it. You know, we fear what we don't understand. And that's why I'm very keen and eager to engage with the community to help them understand what the technology is about, where we are and where we're going. After we get over that initial fear, we come to accept the technology. And this is where the question comes in. Who has the right to do it? And, you know, there's a lot of questions like how will it benefit humanity? What are we going to use it for? What kind of laws and guidelines are, will be in place? But I think if you look, you know, everywhere and, you know, all the talks and debates, I think two main questions comes in. Can we make designer babies and can we enhance humans? Um, I think these are two very obvious and important questions. I think, you know, we live in a world where the have and have not, there's already a big gap. And if you add in human enhancement into this pool, I think that gap is going to be even bigger. I mean, the rich will obviously have the, the resource to enhance themselves, their children. And that's just something that we have to really think about. I mean, you did mention before that there were companies investing heavily into this. And do you think that genetic engineering is already heading towards a profit model? Absolutely. Um, so, for example, in, in Harvard, Harvard spin out company, um, eGenesis. Um, so it's headed by Professor George Church, and he's a really a visionary scientist, and he has been involved in, he's also one of the pioneers of CRISPR. So they started this company in the hope of um, doing xenotransplantation. So xenotransplantation is basically taking organs from animals and using it for humans, so kind of like pigs, you know. The problem with that previously was that the human body rejects these organs because of an immune response. So last month, they got a $38 million investment so that they can use CRISPR to prevent this immune response so that the human body can accept these organs from animals. So I don't need to say that this has serious implications because, you know, there's not enough donor organs out there. And if we can, you know, get organs from animals and replacement, that will, that will help save a lot of lives. 
I guess the applications of it are so widespread. I mean, it's not just superpowers. It's also accepting organs, genetic diseases, even colorblindness you could be eliminating. Where do you see this heading in the, in the next year? I mean, there's already human trials on lung cancer. What do you think is like the big areas people are focusing on? I think right now, everyone, because despite you know it being you know, the perfect genetic tool, there's also, of course, some side effects and also you know disadvantages. So the main thing about gene editing is the efficiency. So depending on the type of cells or organism, you know, the efficiency of the cutting can vary quite dramatically. So I think right now everyone is just trying to optimize this tool. So I think in the you know, next year or two, I think there will be a lot of development in the CRISPR era trying to improve its efficiency. And more importantly, I think you will see that there will be more animal models, um, different disease animal models will come out and we'll have even better understanding of how diseases work. But in terms of having like a CRISPR clinic by the corner, I think that's going to be many, many years away. Well, you can just rock up to it on the weekend <laughs> yeah, to <laughs> get an IQ boost. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I mean, it is one of those meeting points of, of science fiction and reality. I guess, do you understand why people look at that and kind of retreat back from it and think we shouldn't be going into our DNA with scissors or a scalpel? Absolutely. But at the same time, I think humans, human beings, we're curious by nature. And as scientists, I don't think there's, even if some countries come together and you know, come up with some sort of pact or treaty to make sure you know we don't go too far. You always find a place where there won't be restrictions from these type of yeah, treaties. The other issue is that this is such a easy, relatively easy procedure. You don't need some fancy million dollar equipment to do this. You can literally do it in any anywhere. So I think it will be very hard to prevent people from accelerating the development in terms of CRISPR or gene editing technology. I think it's just going to happen. So I can definitively say that you know, gene editing is going to be part of our society. It's going to be part of our life, whether we want to accept it or not. The only thing that we can do is to ensure that you know, its development is all the ethical values that we hold. In terms of the policies for ensuring ethical use of gene editing, should we be having these conversations now? Absolutely. I mean, these questions that we've been talking about has been around for a long time, but I don't think anyone really follow up on it because they understand that the, between the technology to the clinical practice was still far away. But I think with CRISPR, that, that has really changed and that we are really seeing that it's becoming clinically applicable. So I think, you know, it's better to prepare in, in advance than, you know, later. Because I think the expansion and how fast CRISPR is going is way too fast for us to comprehend. And if we don't start to engage and have policies, we won't, we won't make it in time. Is this a responsibility then of, of the companies funding it or is it the governments? Uh, who should be setting the guidelines? I think the government um, should definitely be actively involved in this. I know the, for example, like in America, the NIH, they have restrictions on you know CRISPR ed gene editing um, human embryos. But having said that, it doesn't prevent private companies from funding this type of research. And science is a ultra lucrative industry, and I think everyone wants a piece of that pie. So I think there is, we definitely need to engage everyone on every level, whether it be from academic re institutions, government, and even companies as well. Are there any other countries making advances in these fields we should watch out for? I mean, everyone is working on CRISPR. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, of course, you have the UK, the J 
Japan, you know, everyone's working on this area. It's just that the U.S. and the Chinese have invested so heavily into it. I mean, today we're talking about CRISPR and gene editing, but gene editing also goes hand to hand with next generation sequencing. That's basically trying to sequence the genomic structure of humans or diseases or living organisms. So basically, next generation sequences serve as a you know like a profile, which tells you the sequences of this person or disease, and that way we know where to cut to make the cut. So CRISPR acts as a tool, uh, sequencing acts as a, like a profile or a map. Right, so you need the CRISPR and the sequence in order to make an edit. Yes, yes, that you can say that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for helping explain it to me. Um, is there, what about in Australia? Are there many advancements in the field here? I definitely think Australia should be leading this race because we have, I think, the most famous and popular mutant in the world. We have the Wolverine. That's true. <laughs> Although he has an American accent in the films, but we can claim Hugh Jackman. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That was Joshua Chow, Director of Biomedical Engineering at UTS. This has been Think Digital Futures. This show is supported by the University of Technology Sydney and 2SCR. I'm Shane Anderson. Bye for now.